have your Bibles with you this morning, would you once again open them, please, to Romans chapter 15. This morning we conclude a sermon series entitled, Getting in Shape. And some of you have enjoyed getting in shape. Some of you, not so much so. But I do hope that you have better fitness now than when we first began. Because today we're concluding our workout with getting in shape with prayer. Romans chapter 15, beginning with verse 30 in just a moment. Now as we began this series, I told you that I had some spiritual flab on me. And you grinned. And then I told you, you had some spiritual flab on you. And you frowned. But we all have spiritual flab, and what we're trying to do is turn it into spiritual muscle. Because summer's here, and we got to look good in our spiritual swimsuit. And so I hope that as we've been going through the workout machines, you're toning up, you're getting fit, you're getting ready for whatever the summer may hold for us. Romans 15, beginning with verse 30. The words of the greatest Christian man who ever lived as he addresses the church of his day, as he addresses the church at Miles Road today. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit of God that you strive together with me in your prayers to God the Father for me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea, that my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints, that I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you and be refreshed. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. The story is told of a bar that wanted to open and a church that wanted to stop it from opening. Well, the bar got its permits and started construction. And the church called for prayer meetings and started praying. Well, one day before the bar was scheduled to open, a thunderstorm came. And lightning was flashing, and lightning was striking, and lo and behold, a bolt of lightning struck the bar and burned it to the ground. Now the owner of the bar was angry. He was infuriated. And so he files a lawsuit against the church. He charged the church and their actions as being the primary cause of his bar burning up. Well, the church denied all responsibility and their defense. They said, listen, we didn't do anything. It was just a a freak act of nature that this occurred. Well, the case went through all the legal channels and finally arrived at the desk of a judge who had to make a decision. He looked at the charges made by the bar. He looked at the denials made by the church. And then he said something in his remarks that were somewhat interesting. He said, I'm not sure how to decide on this matter. 
it is a rather mixed up case. On one hand, we have a secular bar owner who believes in prayer. (laughs) And on the other hand, we have a spiritual church that denies the power of prayer. This is a rather mixed up case. Now today, listen to me. We have a bunch of mixed up Christians. We have a bunch of mixed up churches when it comes to this matter of prayer. Most Christians pray. I I would say most of you all that are looking at me are people of prayer. And some of us pray every single day. But how many of us really have confidence, really have confidence that our prayers are heard by God? How many of us really have confidence that our prayers will be answered by God? Prayer for a majority of Christians is just a ritual. It's just a habit. It's just something that we do that has very little bearing on anyone or anything in our mind. In our verses we just read, Paul was not in this majority. Paul was in the minority. You see, Paul had the audacity to believe in prayer. He had the audacity to believe that when he prayed, heaven paid attention. He had the audacity to believe there was a God in heaven who heard and answered his prayers and would show him great and amazing things simply because he asked. Asked that it might be given. You see, what made Paul a great man was he was a Jeremiah 33, 3 saint. Paul's ministry was built on prayer. Call upon the Lord and he will answer you. And he will show you great and mighty things you could never know. And he will do for you great and mighty things you could never do. Call upon the Lord. Invite the omniscient, omnipotent God to bring His wisdom and His power from heaven into your situation and circumstance. And then stand back and watch Him not only show up, but show off. Prayer works. And Paul knew it and Paul practiced it. Now before we go to our text, Just a few observations for you. And these observations are at no cost, okay? I'm just throwing this in. We're not going to pass the offering plate again. This is just a bonus, you might say. But just some off-the-cuff observations that we see in verse 30 through 33. First of all, Paul's request for prayer to the churches in Rome was for himself. Seven times in those verses, Paul makes mention of himself using pronouns like I, me, or my. Paul believed in praying for his nation. He believed in praying for the Jewish race. He believed in praying for the Gentiles. He believed in praying for the church of his day. He believed in praying for his family. He believed in praying for his friends. 
He believed in praying for those that were sick. He believed in praying for those that were struggling. But Paul also believed in praying for himself. And he often asked people to pray for him in his ministry. Somehow we've got the idea that we can't pray for ourselves. I assure you, you can and you should. And praying for yourself doesn't limit God in any way. Somebody said to me one time, Pastor, I don't pray for myself because I feel like if I'm praying for myself, it might take away from God doing something for somebody else. I said, you need to have a bigger God. God can take care of every single prayer request we give him times a thousand. Paul asked for prayer because prayer was needed for himself at this point. And prayer is needed for you and I at points too. We need to ask for it. Secondly, just an observation. Paul believes in the local church to a be a partner with him in doing the work of God. I know many people today don't have a lot of use for the local church, but I tell you the local church is where God does his best work. Paul understood that, even though he was a great church planner, even though he was a great theologian, even though he was a great evangelist, he was also a local church man. And he believed in the local church and he wanted to partner with the local church whenever he was in the area or whenever that he, there was a ministry where he could use the local church to be with him. Notice he calls the local church in our verses are those in the local church. He calls them brethren. This is a term of endearment. What he's saying is you're my family. He invites them to join him in a struggle that he's having. He invites them. Look at the verses. He's, he invites them. He says, would you come and join me? He desires to have fellowship with them. He wants to be with them. And then he blesses them in his benediction in verse 33. Paul was not down on the local church. He was up on it. And he knew it was God's vehicle to reach a lost and dying world in it and through it. Thirdly, I want you to see that in verse 30, he reaffirms the Holy Trinity. God is one being, but God is three persons. Look at verse 30. He says, now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, for the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me, that you join together with me in your prayers to God. God for me. Now in one verse, he reaffirms the Holy Trinity. He speaks of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus. He speaks of the Spirit of God. And he speaks of the fatherhood of God, God the Father. Now remember, we pray to God the Father. We pray to God the Father through God the Son. And we pray to God the Father through God the Son in the power of God the Spirit who gives us the will and do of that prayer. I know there's many today who say there is no Trinity and some call themselves evangelicals. 
It doesn't really matter what you call yourself. You better believe in the Holy Trinity. Now you say, I can't understand it. It's not to be understood. It's to be accepted. There's many things in life I don't understand, but I know that they're real. I know that they're true, and I accept them. You try to understand the Trinity, you'll go crazy. But if you deny the Trinity, you'll go to hell. Understand that. And Paul reaffirms the Holy Trinity. Also notice in our verses that he mentions the fruit of the Spirit. How do you know if you're walking with God? Because you can sing loud? (laughs) Because you can dance good? Because you serve well or give much? No. The way that you know you're walking with God is you will have what's called the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5, verse 22. When you have these fruits hanging off you, that means you're pretty close to Jesus. And he mentions three of them in the verses that we just read. He mentions love, which is a state of being. He worships peace. I mean, he mentions peace, which is a state of mind. And he mentions joy, which is a state of the heart. And by the way, the only way you can get these fruits of the Spirit, if you're looking for them, which is, in this case, three of them are love and peace and joy. The only way you can get them is go to Walmart and buy them. Just seeing if you're awake. Some of you get a little drowsy and you shake your head about everything. No, you can't buy these kind of things at Walmart. You can have a billion dollars. You can buy from every store in this world, but you can't buy love. You can't buy peace. You can't buy joy. They're priceless. But God gives them freely to those who choose to trust and obey him. So that's just a few observations as we go go to the text. Now in our text, we're going to learn some things about prayer. Because remember, we want to get in shape. And you'll never be in spiritual shape till you know how to pray. Notice in verse 30, as we now go to our text with time remaining, that prayer is a struggle. Prayer is a struggle. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, that you strive. Notice that word strive if you have a King James Bible. It might be another word with another translation, but strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. That word strive is an interesting word. It actually can translate struggle. In the Greek language, it's a military word. It was a word that was often associated with the military, a lesser degree, competitive sports. And what it means is to fight, to battle, to wrestle, to to be combative. And what Paul is saying to them is, join me in the struggle of prayer. Join me in the fight. Join me in the engagement. Join me in the combat. Join me in this wrestling match called prayer. Why is prayer a struggle? Why is it a striving, as he calls it? 
Because when we pray, we are directly engaging the spiritual powers of darkness. There's no other thing that we will ever do that directly engages the spiritual powers of darkness than prayer. That's why whenever we seek to pray individually or corporately, Satan will send the demons of hell against us with the intent of delaying us, deterring us, denying us, and defeating us in prayer. You say, Pastor, is that your idea? No, I wish it was, but it's not. Paul in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12 said, We wrestle not against flesh and blood. We do not strive. We do, we do not struggle. But we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Sometimes we say to people, if you can't do nothing else, you can pray. Have you ever said that to somebody? That is such a not a truth. Prayer is work. Prayer is warfare. Because as soon as you go to your knees and you call upon the Lord and you ask Him to come with His wisdom and power into a situation or circumstance that's troubling you or bothering you, the spiritual powers of darkness immediately begin to mobilize to stop you from praying. They did against Daniel. They did even against the Lord Jesus, if you remember. Whenever you pray, you are engaging the powers of darkness. The devil and his cronies, quite frankly, do not care if we worship. You think they care that we're here right now? No. They don't really care if we serve. They don't really care how much we give. They don't really care if we witness. They don't really care if we fellowship. What they do care about is when we come together on our knees and pray. When we invite God to come and join us. Because when that happens, God brings, as I said earlier, His wisdom and His power with Him. He brings His energy. He brings His might. And that is what transforms situations and circumstance and people and us. It's prayer. What gives our worship energy and power? Prayer. What gives our serving energy and power? Prayer. What gives our giving energy and power? Prayer. What gives our witnessing, our socializing energy and power? It's prayer. Prayer makes things acceptable and fruitful and influential and transformational. James said in 5 verse 16 of his book, he said, The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. What he's saying is it, it works. It makes a difference. Great things happen when great prayers are offered by God's people. That's why there is a great struggle with the powers of darkness when you pray. 
Prayer is not for the weak. It's not for the feeble. It's not for the lazy. It's not for the unmotivated. It's for Christian soldiers of discipline and determination who want to see victory. Why are you defeated all the time? Why is your home in such a mess? Why is the church in such chaos? Why is our nation falling apart before our very eyes? It's because all we do is talk, 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 but we don't pray. I had a couple this week come and sit in my office. They're having marital problems. And they both claim to be Christians. And I said, sir, do you pray for your wife? And he looked at me like he saw a ghost. And I said, ma'am, do you pray for your husband? And she hung her head down. I said, I, I, I love you. I'll do whatever I can to help you. But if you don't get this connected, this doesn't matter. Marriage is a triangle. You've got to have God involved in it. It's not a linear line. It's a triangle. And I've found that when husbands are right with God and wives are right with God, they tend to be right with one another. And when they're not, all the counseling of your pastor isn't going to do anything. It's like throwing marbles against a brick wall. Folks, we need to pray. But understand it's a struggle. Understand it is a struggle. Secondly, prayer not only is a struggle, but look at verse 31. Prayer should be specific. Paul doesn't just throw out stuff. Notice what he says in verse 31. He says, would you pray with me that I may be delivered from them that do not believe in Judea? Prayer request number one. That my service which I have for Jerusalem may be accepted of the saints. Prayer request number two. That I may come unto you with joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. Prayer request number three. Paul believed in specific praying. He didn't generalize. He didn't beat around the bush. He didn't stutter or stammer. He didn't leave one to guess what he was saying. Paul was a very smart man, and he believed that smartness was showed in simplicity. You know, it takes somebody smart to be simple. And Paul was of genius, but he knew how to break things down in such a simple way, such a straightforward way. And when he prayed, he prayed with that same style, simple, straightforward, and specific. In verse 31, he prays for safety. He's very specific. He says, pray for my safety. I'm going to Jerusalem, and there I'm going to confront men who do not believe, who are still entrenched in Judaism, and they're going to try to kill me. And also in Jerusalem, I'm going to be going to the saints. And these are Jewish saints who are highly suspicious of me because I minister to the Gentiles. So I got unbelievers who might try to kill me, and I've got saints who probably are not going to like me and might run me off. Pray for my safety. I'm going to be facing some evil men in a dangerous place. Then in verse 31, he says, pray for my success. The second that. He said, pray that when I arrive in Jerusalem, 
I will be able to penetrate some of that darkness with my light, which is your light, Lord. Pray that the love gift that I'm bringing, I'm bringing a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem. Pray that it will be accepted with the spirit in which it's being given. And then he says, pray for my satisfaction. I'd love to be able to see you again. Whenever I'm with you, you bring me refreshment. You bring me joy. You renew me. You revive me. That was his prayer request. Safety, success, and satisfaction. Did God answer his prayer? A simple prayer, a specific prayer, three parts. Did God hear him and answer it? Well, for safety, God answered his prayer. He went to Jerusalem, he came back, safe and sound. God answered his prayer for success. The non-Christians in Jerusalem, though hostile to him, did not harm him. And he was able to debate with some of them and share his faith. The Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, perhaps still suspicious, nevertheless welcomed and accepted him and received his gift of love to them. And so many ways, the, a bridge was built to connect the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians together? Did he ever get a chance to see those Christians in Rome again? Well, he did. It'd be some time later, but Paul would go to Rome. In Rome, he would lose his head off his shoulders. But while in Rome, during that time when he really needed people the most, he was ministered to by many different people from the church of Jerome. So did Paul get his prayers answered? Yes, yes, and yes. Now why don't we see prayer answered? May I make a suggestion? It might be because prayer is being answered, but we ask in such an ambiguous, generalized way that we don't see it being answered. You know, I find most people just pray very, just throw out stuff without a whole lot of thought, a whole lot of purpose, or a whole lot of belief. We don't really have any passion. We really don't have any expectancy. Again, we pray ambiguously, gen, gen, using generalizations and indirectness. I'm really challenging you. If you believe God hears and answers prayers, why don't you be specific in what you're praying for? We raised three teenage boys at our house. They're now fine young men. And given us four grandchildren. It's a shame you can't get the grandchildren first. But that's okay. We got them. And if my son would have came up to me and said, Dad, I need a blessing today. What would he got for me? Nothing. What does that mean? If you come to me and say, Pastor, I need a blessing. Tell me what that means. You say, Pastor, you're supposed to be able to read my mind. I can't read your mind. 
Pastor, you're supposed to be able to discern my heart. I can't discern your heart. What does it mean to tell somebody I want a blessing? It essentially doesn't mean anything. And so many of us just go to the Lord and say, and by the way, the Lord can read our mind and discern our hearts. I know that. But when we go to the Lord and just say, Lord, I need a blessing today. May I be frank with you? It's probably just a waste of time. But if my son came to me and said, Dad, may I make a request of you? I've got a date with a girl that I really like. May I borrow the car, please? And could you advance me $50 because I want to take her out to a nice place to eat in a movie? And by the way, Dad, you know that white polo shirt you got that looks sharp on you? May I borrow it because I think it'll look sharp on me. Now that's a pretty specific request, isn't it? Dad, I want the car keys. Dad, I'd like an advance of $50. And that white polo shirt you got, can I borrow? You see, when somebody asks for something specifically and you do it for them, they know you did it. And they're thankful and they're appreciative. And we're not thankful and appreciative to God because when God blesses us, we don't even know it half the time. And then lastly, prayer is a struggle. That it is. And prayer needs to be specific, and so it should be. Verse 33, in closing, prayer will steady us. You know, sometimes God changes people and things that we pray for. Sometimes God doesn't change people and things that we pray for. He changes us. Verse 33. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now this is a benediction, if you will, a doxology benediction, very short. But I think it speaks to the steadying effect of prayer. Prayer is not always about getting what you want. Sometimes it's about God changing you and I, giving us the serenity, the tranquility, the peace, the joy, the comfort, the encouragement to deal with what we're facing. But what we're facing is not going to change. We will change. You see, sometimes God answers our prayers in a way that we wouldn't quite figure it out. A little boy was very upset as he sat down for lunch. So much, in fact, he couldn't eat his lunch. And his mother said, son, what are you so upset about? You're so anxious. You're so stressed. What are, what are you so frustrated about that you can't even eat your favorite lunch? He said, mom, I've lost my favorite marble. I've lost that yellow jacket marble I had. That was my favorite. You can't find many of those. And it's gone. And he said, I'm so flustered. So she dismissed him. Well, five or six hours passed and they were at the dinner table, supper table. And now he's eating. 
His mood is more upbeat, more jovial. And his mother said, son, you must have found that yellow jacket marble that you lost. He said, no, mom, I haven't found it. But God changed my heart about wanting it to be found. It doesn't matter anymore, mom. You know, that's what God does to us sometimes. We, we have all these heavy burdens and we get flustered and aggravated about us. And God just says, just, just settle down. And then God does a work in us that gives us peace, joy, hope, love, tranquility, serenity. And all of a sudden, what was bothering us really isn't a big deal. Notice Paul makes mention of God's peace. It is well with my soul. He infers to God's presence, he is with me. He infers to God's power, God is at work. You know what amen means? It was the signature that was put on an oath or a contract that says, so be it. Paul says, I, I, I don't know what God's going to do, but may we have his peace, may we know his presence, and may we trust that his power is working, though we may not understand it or always see it. In closing, are you engaged in daily prayer? Do you pray every single day? Are you seeking God's specific help for this nation, for your church, for your home, for those that you love, and yes, for yourself? Are you engaged in daily prayer? And in that daily prayer, are you inviting God into the things that are near and dear to you? Do you have a specific time to be with God? Do you have a specific place to go to be with God? Is that time protected? Is that place free of distractions and disturbances and drowsiness? Is it? Do you follow a plan in your prayers? Do you really have, do you have a plan how you want to pray? You don't have to pray the same way every day. But do you have a plan how you want to approach the Lord? There's many wonderful plans out there, but I like the little plan acts. Adoration, confession, thanks, and supplication. ACTS. Every prayer time ought to have a praise time where you thank God for who He is. Thank Him for who He is. Then every time should have a confession time where we get washed and cleansed by the precious blood of Jesus and made whole and refragranced and reattired and re-energized and re-empowered 
for what we're going to face for the day. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and cleanse us of all iniquity. So there should be a time of thanking God for who he is, adoration, confession to God of our sins. Then there should be a time of thanks. Thanking God for what he's done for you. You know, one of my prayers, and I, you know, I, I can be personal with you, I've been with you a long time, is I always ask God to give me a sensitivity when he's blessing me. Because I can be somewhat, I can be dumb sometimes. I, I, want, I want to have a spiritual sensitivity that when I meet with someone, maybe that's a blessing. When I'm at a particular place, maybe that place is to be a blessing to me. Maybe when something happens where I'm delayed, God is blessing me because if he would have kept me on time, I'd have got killed. That when somebody gives me something, that's from God. I, I really want to be sensitive to give him thanks for every single thing that occurs in any given day. Because he is behind it all. All good things come from where? Above. And then supplication. Adoration, confession, thanks. Supplication. Let your requests be known. Specifically, tell the Lord what you would like him to do with the wisdom and power he will bring if you ask him. Do you have a plan like that? Do you believe your prayers make a difference? Do you really believe that? Or do you just pray because, well, Pastor Jim said we're supposed to pray. I was at the gym not long ago, and there was a lady working out on one of the pieces of equipment. And one of the trainers come up and said, do you know what this piece of equipment does? And the lady said, no. <laughs> she said, has anybody showed you how to use it? She said, no. She said, well, why are you doing it? She said, because everybody else is doing it. You know, some of us are like that with prayer. We just do it. We have no expectancy nor no anticipation that it, anything's going to come of it. We need to pray believing that we're making a difference. I love that old song by the Kingsmen, this Kingsmen Quartet. You remember them from years ago? They had a song that when mama prayed, heaven paid attention. Boy, I tell you what, I, I get excited. I get on shouting ground every time I hear that song. Oh, may God give us the anticipation of a mama that when she prays, God is going to hear and answer her prayers for her children. In closing, are we a praying people? Are we a praying church? Will our prayers keep this nation afloat? Will our prayers keep this church afloat? Will our prayers keep our homes afloat? Will our prayers keep us afloat? In a day when everything around us is sinking very rapidly into the deep, dark abyss of the bottom. 
if we're going to fall, may we fall from a kneeling position. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.